and opinions expressed on this podcast are that of the hosts and represent no other individual organisation or entity. Good evening, Roger. Good evening, Adam. And this is our last Break the News podcast of 2022. So welcome to you, dear listener. Yep, welcome everyone. Um, it's Adam and Roger here breaking the news yet again. Um, some interesting news. And we're also going to uh, reveal our 2023 predictions um, later in the podcast. Yep, so this is a very special show and one that will probably bite us on the behind. <laughs> like yeah, last and we'll have, did. To, we'll have to see who who's more accurate and um, none of us know each other's predictions. We haven't told each other what our predictions are, although I might have hinted about what mine were um, on the last podcast. But yep, of course, with some other ones, so... It'll be very interesting for you all to find out what they are. If you did listen to our podcast over the Christmas period, or if you're catching up now, thank you very much. We know what a horrendously busy time it is. I put out my driving podcast finally as a little bonus to everyone. So Ah. if you have downloaded our podcast over your Christmas, thank you very much for that. You've helped us to finally reach our 500th download so that's wonderful. Yeah. How was your Christmas, Adam? Uh, it was all right. I visited my mum. Uh, I went both days. I went Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. I also did a park run both days. A park run on Christmas Day? And I did one last year on Christmas Day as well. Um, I wasn't as good then, but at that point last year, I remember getting a PB on Christmas Day. I didn't, I didn't manage to get a PB this year on Christmas Day, but I did actually come quite close to one. You are a legend, Adam. I was probably half asleep by the time you were running, because by then the girls would have opened their presents and everything. We just had the standard Christmas at home with family. The kids opened their presents. We went to my mother-in-law's, had Christmas dinner, then opened more presents, then nearly fell asleep, and, and then watched Christmas specials until it was time for the girls to go to bed. Yeah, well, I had a Christmas dinner and I also had um, lots of unhealthy stuff on Christmas Eve. So I was actually amazed that I, that I actually ran quite well on Christmas Day. Um, I was only f- uh, three seconds off a PB on that course. So that's what I said to say. That I had loads of junk. I was actually happy about that. Very happy, actually. What do you do on Boxing Day in your house? Not an awful lot, really. Um, on Boxing Day, I was sorting out my new phone. I also did a bit of cycling. Um, I don't usually do cycling. It's not a tradition. But my dad's got a a relatively new exercise bike. You've probably seen it in the house. And, um, yeah, I went on that. And um, I've been going on that quite a bit this week, actually. For us, Boxing Day is nearly as big as Christmas Day because that's when my mum and my grandma come up and my mother-in-law comes over to us as well so I made one of my Chinese specials for my grandma who didn't want to take away and everyone else got take away and we yeah we had a good day but my wife was a bit exhausted by the end of it so what I've mm-hmm. done since Boxing Day is I've put nearly all social media on mute and silent except for yourself of course yeah I've 
deliberately stayed away from social media and doing anything and I've just devoted the last few days to spending time with the kids and doing very little this is kind of the first thing I've done for myself <laughs> since Christmas so it's but it's really nice to get back in the swing of things so if you would like to get in touch you can do at breakthenewspod at gmail.com if you have any predictions of your own for 2023 that would be a great place to share them Taxpayers' money has been handed to groups promoting Islamist extremism, a landmark review of the government's flagship prevent programme has found. Key figures in organisations funded by prevent are alleged to have supported the Taliban, defended militant Islamist groups banned in the UK, and hosted hate preachers, according to a leaked draft of the report seen by The Telegraph. The review by William Shawcross, a former head of the Charity Commission, is expected to say that the unacceptable cases undermined prevents ability to effectively undertake counter-radicalisation work. These findings raise serious questions about whether Prevent is knowingly taking this approach and, if not, whether it operates robust due diligence procedures and has an acceptable level of understanding of Islamist extremism the report will say a downing street spokesman said the review will be published in due course i think the main point here that i wanted to get across is that prevent have been funding the islamist terrorist groups which are actually causing the terrorism this just baffles me as to why they would actually donate money to these kind of groups when they're the ones that are causing the terrorism. I have to be very careful what I say about this because Prevent is something that I engage with professionally. But if the report does come out and turns out that all of this is true and all these leaks are true, then the Prevent organisation are in big trouble and rightfully so because it's a disgrace. From what I've seen of Prevent, sadly, this wouldn't surprise me. But what it sounds like here is that Prevent are too scared to um, de-radicalise these Muslims for the fear of being classed as racist or Islamophobic or whatever. And therefore, they are trying to get the Islamist organisations to de-radicalise them rather than them doing it themselves, which to me, it seems like they're trying to take a really big gamble here. Yeah, and they're being taken for a ride a little bit. I don't mind that the Prevent agenda has links with extremist groups, because to be honest, if it wants to prevent extremism, it should do. It's right to work with them, but not to fuel the terrorist promotions, because that's where you're actually encouraging terrorism and that is just plain wrong and I think that is something that we can probably both accept um, that uh, fueling terrorism is wrong 
if this is what Prevent are doing, I think um, Prevent should be really ashamed of themselves and uh, the government should sack the people that are um, in charge of Prevent that are, that have um, failed in what they're supposed to be doing because Prevent, what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to tackle extremism in general, whether it's right-wing extremists or, of course, Islamist extremists. I think that's probably what the outcomes of this report will be. I think that's probably what the report has been designed to do. Yeah, and the report has been trying to make sure that they're, they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the report's found several failings. And once it gets confirmed, prevent her a dead brand. It's done after this. They'll have to get someone else in charge. Um, but I, I just fear that the government... Um, are going to be too scared to act on it because yesterday um, a row also brew up between Michael Gove and Suella Braverman because Suella Braverman wanted the names of these extremists to be listed, whereas Michael Gove wanted the names to be covered up and that really concerned him me of what Michael Gove wanted and whether Richard Sunak wants that as well because the only way that the public are able to know and the only way the public are able to be outraged by it and be able to campaign to stop it is by publishing their names. I don't want to go out and outrage people but I think we shouldn't be shy to shine a light on extremism. But the only way that we can actually save lives is to get political pressure to actually do something about it. Prevent might not be replaced top team might end up getting sacked and they might they might put a whole new team in they might put different strategies in um so we'll just have to wait and see what actually happens with prevent whether it does get replaced with a new organization or whether it or whether the management of prevent gets changed let me talk about another religious zealot we've got in our country causing problems i'll be very interested to hear your opinion on this this is a report from our friends at gb news More than 34,000 people have signed a petition after a woman was arrested on a UK street while praying silently in her head. Charity volunteer Isabel Vaughan Spruce was standing quietly on a pavement in Birmingham when she was approached, questioned and subsequently arrested by police. Officers had received complaints from an onlooker who suspected she was praying. She was not holding a sign or making any visible form of protest. An online petition calls for Home Secretary Suella Breverman to intervene and demand that all charges against Isabel Vaughan Spruce are dropped. In a chilling video which captured the exchange between Vaughan Spruce and police, viewed one and a half million times on Twitter, a police officer could be seen asking, What are you here for today? Vaughan Spruce responded, I'm just standing here. The police officer asked, Are you praying? To which Vaughan Spruce said, I might be praying in my head. She was then arrested on suspicion of failing to comply with a public space protection order in what has been branded by critics as a thought crime. Vaughan Spruce was formally arrested for breaking a public space protection order around the BPAS Roberts facility in Kings Norton, an abortion clinic which has been the target for pro-life protesters in the past. She has been charged with breaching the order on four different occasions. A West Midlands police spokesman said... Isabel Vaughan Spruce was arrested on the 6th of December and subsequently charged on 15th of December with four counts of failing to comply with a public space protection order. 
She was bailed to appear at Birmingham Magistrates Court on 2nd of February 2023. Following her arrest, Vaughan Spruce said, It's abhorrently wrong that I was searched, arrested, interrogated by police and charged simply for praying in the privacy of my own mind. Censorship zones purport to ban harassment, which is already illegal. Nobody should ever be subject to harassment, but what I did was the furthest thing from harmful. I was exercising my freedom of thought, my freedom of religion, inside the privacy of my own mind. Nobody should be criminalised for thinking and for praying in a public space in the UK. The PSPO around the King's Norton Abortion Clinic says the following activities are not allowed. Protesting, namely engaging in any act of approval or disapproval or attempted act of approval or disapproval with respect to issues related to abortion services by any means. This includes, but is not limited, to graphic, verbal or written means, prayer or counselling. What do you think, Adam? This actually shocked me that the police in part, I've heard about them policing speech, but now they're trying to police and this is going too far. We shouldn't be policing people's thought, people's opinions, people's views whatsoever. She has that view. She has the right to have that view. But by the sounds of it, under UK law, she does not have the right to have that view, even when, in general, I think I can safely say that I believe that she should have the right to have that view. I think that if you are going to go around making a spectacle of yourself outside abortion clinics and you're going to be praying and people know that you're anti-abortion and you're making a scene, then you're an absolute disgrace. However, you have a right to do it. It should not be illegal. This will be a very interesting court case. It will be a landmark case and I'll be very interested to see what happens. I don't even know why they've set up these laws. It's public space and also... There's, the, people should be allowed to protest outside an abortion clinic just like they're allowed to protest outside Parliament. I think if somebody wants to go and pray outside an abortion clinic, fine. But the women outside that abortion clinic then have the right to tell those praying do-gooders exactly what they think of them. <laughs> and the, they have the right to debate as well, but obviously UK law does not allow debate these days. If your mission in life is to go and pray outside abortion clinics, spreading misery where there's already plenty of it, then you have a big problem. You should be in counselling instead of uh, outside an abortion clinic. But you also shouldn't be in a jail cell. That's not the place for these people. That's true, but there's people have got very strong views on abortion. Then you know what you can do? You can go out and make a podcast like we did and then people can choose whether to listen to it or not and they can choose to engage with it or not and then it's you're not pushing that onto anybody, are you? No, you're not. And, yeah, that's probably the best way of dealing with it. If, if you go out and start outside and start protesting about things, I think it's too dangerous in this world. Yeah, exactly. So maybe she's lucky to have just got arrested. Imagine if you started protesting outside a migrant processing centre. I wonder what would happen. I wouldn't want to find out. (laughs) I value my reputation, my career and my personal safety. What do you think the outcome of the court case will be, Adam? Do you think she'll do time for this? Unfortunately, yes, because if there's something in the law, the judges have got to go by what the law is. Um, I don't think she deserves to. But um, I think um, she could well end up doing time for it, yes. 
it's going to be a very interesting one. I wonder if she could just turn around and say, oh, well, I wasn't praying about abortion. But it, it's pretty clear that's what she yeah, was doing. Just, do they have proof that she were praying for abortion? That it all have to go through the courts? Well, I don't think there is any way to prove it, but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. She's, She said on GB News that she's fronted quite a few anti-abortion organisations before now. And it's clear that she's been outside these centres praying for people before. Yeah, I reckon they'll go against her, but we'll have to say. I'm not going to be super out- outraged one way or the other because I do think going praying outside an abortion clinic is a pretty scummy thing to be doing. Not for the reasons you think, not because I'm particularly pro or anti-abortion. It's just not my philosophy of life, but... It will be interesting to see how it affects protest and freedom of speech in the future. If they rule against it, I think it's disgraceful. I think that we definitely should not be uh, policing thought and policing speech. We also have the right to say someone else's speech is scummy. (laughs) This is the thing. I completely disagree with her act of prayer, but I think she had the right to do it. So the next article is about student housing because it's reaching a crisis point not seen since the 1970s when students slept in sports halls and their cars and is set to worsen in the new year, a charity has warned. Since the start of the academic year, students at universities across the UK have complained of fierce competition for for rooms in flat shares for the 2022 and 2023 academic years. Experts say there are growing numbers of students experiencing periods of hidden homelessness or accepting unsuitable housing out of desperation. Students say they have been forced to couch surf with friends live with parents some distance away or accept unsuitable rooms such as those without windows. You are beginning to see student housing moving into shortage across the majority of universities, not just the ones you read about, said Martin Blakely, the chief executive of student housing charity Unipol. The reason is that purpose-built student accommodation has stopped expanding to the extent it was, and we don't think that's going to change. At the same time, we think there's a significant decrease in shared houses. Landlords are moving back to renting to professionals or leaving the market. This had been compounded by universities running less of their own accommodation in favour of partnerships with private providers which were hamstrung by the wider investment freeze and hostile planning regimes in some cities, he said. Blakely said the shortage was acute this year due to several factors including growing demand for rentals in cities, rapidly expanding universities and international students returning amid the easing of the COVID pandemic. He predicted the situation would deteriorate in January 
when a new intake arrived and again in September 2023, which is expected to be another records university recruitment round. There's an accommodation shortage here. We've been talking about this housing crisis for months, well, since we've been doing our podcast probably, and it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Obviously, this is only going to get worse if we allow so many international students in because all of them are going to require accommodation in this country, aren't they? So it doesn't surprise me that there's a shortage. I bet you're glad that you're a student at home, aren't you, Adam? Well, yeah, because if I was a student at a university, I'd be, I'd have to pay a fortune for rent, especially now. Rent's in in Bradford have just soared and have soared in many other cities as well. I do worry. I have a daughter who will could go to university in as little as seven years and this shows no sign of stopping. I've already suggested a very strong way to solve the housing crisis here in Bradford without needing to build a single house, but the government seems obsessed with building houses and we've discussed why that is already, haven't we? Yes, and it is complex, but yeah, it could actually be reduced. And there were actually some figures on the Telegraph and Argus this week showing that there was actually um, a slight decline in the um, number of long-term empty properties in Bradford. Only a slight decline, but still a decline. Um, So the numbers are going down, so the council is trying to act on it, but I think that's just because they're in a crisis. They've got nowhere to put people, so they're panicking now. It shows the lack of long-term thinking again because there is space there are places to put people we have seen a lot of student accommodation get built in bradford in these last few years but we've also seen a lot of student accommodation get knocked down as well yes and the council love knocking down buildings and rebuilding stuff don't they like the university of bradford just seems to have been almost like gentrified since I was a student there a long time ago. (laughs) A long time ago, that makes me sound really old. It was over 10 years now, though. Yes, and was the accommodation completely different to then? In your first year, you usually stayed in the halls of residence, and our halls of residence was like a converted old folks home and it wasn't too bad it was just a big building full of small flats and the university had several similar halls of residences as well those have all been knocked down now and replaced with like apartment complexes and they're more spread out they're smaller they're more exclusive they're more expensive and a couple of them have shut down since opening but then in my second year that's when, you know, we became big boys and girls and we moved out of student halls of residence and lived in student houses. And, um, the, yeah, the first year we lived in a horrible student house that had mice on the second floor and a leaky roof. Uh, but then in our third and fourth year, we found a really nice house and lived there very happily for two years. Both times, finding housing wasn't a huge problem. And there are plenty of rogue landlords in Bradford, so it doesn't surprise me about there being mice in it. And um, that should have been sorted out. It would have been today's legislation anyway, but it probably wouldn't. And landlords are getting away with all sorts now because tenants, uh, there's just a shortage. So people, um, uh, landlords can practically do what they want. This country is lawless. Well, a landlord can do what they want, except for kick out a tenant. (laughs) They can't do that. 
Oh, yeah, there'll be trouble if they kick out a tenant because the tenant has nowhere else to go. And if the burglar were homeless, then, then there will be issues, um, legal issues, and they'll end up getting fined, potentially arrested, probably. Renting just seems like a nightmare situation for all involved, if you ask me. I know there's some people who get it right, but it will be a real crisis indeed if we end up in a situation where full-time students, even the ones who get jobs, still can't afford rents. I'm just lucky that I'm not in that situation at the moment and I'm actually building up a heck of a lot of savings, so hopefully I'll be able to own and own eventually, so... Well, that's good, especially if you get your degree and success follows. Does your degree finish this year, Adam? It does, yeah. So you graduate in 2023? Yes, um, so hopefully I can find some sort of job. So it's a very exciting year ahead for you. (laughs) An interesting one, yes. Um, We've not just got a housing crisis in this country because um, we've got a care crisis as well. So hospitals in England are taking care of record number of patients. So more people could be spending the time between Christmas and New Year in hospital in parts of England this year than at any time in the past decade as NHS trusts struggle to find social care places for patients medically fit for discharge. The latest figures for December to date show an average of 94,200 patients were in hospital across England, more than 93,000 of them in acute settings, the highest in seven winters. Hospitals in the southwest, southeast, and northwest, the areas with the highest proportion of medically fit patients who cannot be discharged due to an acute lack of social care are taking care of a record number of patients. The chief executive of NHS England, Amanda Pritchard, admitted the health service could be facing the most challenging winter in our history, even worse than the height of the pandemic. In a Christmas thank you message to staff, she said, I always thought that difficult as those initial waves of COVID were, and they really were, actually, it would be dealing with the ongoing pressures that could be even tougher. That combination of recovering services whilst also dealing with continuing COVID and everything else that winter throws at us. We are facing record demand for many services from GP services to mental health services and, of course, urgent and emergency care so this doesn't sound good um and it sounds like there's a shortage of potentially care homes shortage of carers and the carer shortage has been made worse because many care sectors sacked the staff that did not get the vaccine what do you make of this i hope that it's just part of the nhs recovering from what's been an extremely turbulent time with all the strikes and everything and they're still recovering from covid but 
I don't know. Obviously, if there's no care to discharge them, so then it's just going to pile up at hospitals. And I never even thought about this. If we can't get enough carers and no one wants to do those jobs, loads leave and loads of hospital staff leave. People who are medically fit but not medically fit to go home by themselves, they're just going to be piled up at hospitals and... How are hospitals going to cope with these people? So maybe this hospital crisis, as we've suggested before on the podcast, is more due to management and allocation of resources rather than the efforts of the staff who were already there. Do you think the NHS is just so badly managed in this country? Yeah. I think there's a lot of people very high up who just don't take taxpayers' money very seriously at all. This is what seems to happen with government organisations and this is why communism usually fails. There's no motivation to do well. In the private sector, for example, there's motivation to do well, so they hire the best CEOs and the more the the better they do, the more they get paid money. Uh, Whereas in the public sector, they just get the same standard wage no matter how badly or how poorly they do and that's why... That's why there's no incentive for these public organisations to perform well. I heard a very interesting podcast from a commentator called Dominic Frisby. You might have seen him on GB News, Adam. He has a very strong proposal that welfare should be privatised. And it's a very interesting and and very strong proposal. At first you might think, oh, no, not having that. But actually, when you think about fiscal responsibility and the way the government are dealing with things right now, Dominic actually comes up with quite a strong and compelling case. The way we help people does not help people. The highest form of charity, argued the 12th century Jewish philosopher Maimonides, is when the help given enables the receiver to become self-sufficient. But our systems of state charity, welfare, have too frequently had the opposite effect. They've actually created dependency. And I say it's time to rethink the way we help people. And I suggest something that may be heinous to some, but it's this. Welfare would be more effective, more varied, more widespread and more affordable if there were no state involvement suggesting that the welfare system is not working and that we should do away with it is not the same as suggesting that the poor and needy should not be looked after. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The provision of care is a delicate, complicated and unpredictable process. Different circumstances require different forms of care. And the dignity of the recipient also needs to be considered. It can be demeaning to receive charity. On occasion, anonymity might be required. But on other occasions, it might not be. And then there's the matter of the giver. But in the process of state care, the giver's needs are not even considered. Taxes are taken and that is it. We're given no real say in how the money we've earned is spent, bar a vote of dubious effect every five years. Often, the giver is morally opposed to what his taxes are being spent on. And the forced giving that is taxation actually destroys the altruistic satisfaction that people get from giving voluntarily. To help others and to share with them is part of humanity. 
but in a world in which government is responsible for the care of the poor and the needy, that compassion is removed from life. And as a result, the state now has a near monopoly on compassion. In fact, it's even more bizarrely specific than that. The pro-large welfare state left wing has the monopoly on compassion and anyone who doesn't agree with the concept of a large generous welfare state is deemed heartless and selfish. If the state is providing care to the needy then you are absolved of the responsibility to do so. Meanwhile government welfare as well as being inflexible is expensive. The large organisations such as the NHS or the DWP through which care is administered can be inefficient and worse yet they're prone to corruption. Thanks to the state's near monopoly there is no competition and the idea of competition in welfare is offensive to many but we need it if we are to improve quality and lower costs. Without the cost of the state we have more capital to spend and invest ourselves. People are empowered. Our ability to help others is increased. In a world with no state, what's more, suddenly our responsibility to help others is also increased. The bigger the state gets, the more costly it gets, and the worse and managed it gets. And because the state is ever seems to be ever-growing in this country, that's why the country is becoming a bigger and bigger mess by the day. Obviously, I've always said privatised stuff works better than the state stuff. Let's face it, our healthcare does seem to be one of the worst in Europe, and that that's concerning. So our public healthcare seems to be failing, with it being state-owned the way it is. So maybe if it were privatised a bit better, maybe it would perform better. But I don't think the voters would like it. No, I think it would be a long slow drip feeding process all i want is for it to perform better and i'm guessing you would so if it works i guess you'd be happy with it but obviously you're not convinced it would work yet are you well if i was a government who wanted to privatize the nhs then i would create a narrative of the nhs being an absolute failure of it being in crisis and right now that is the narrative we are seeing Yes, we're seeing the whole NHS and care in crisis and it doesn't show signs of improving. Ladies and gentlemen, Adam and Roger Break the News is proud to present 2023 Predictions. First of all, here's two from me. My first prediction is quite a gloomy one, but I do this every year. It's my death picks for 2023. Three well-known figures who I think will sadly depart from us this year. And my three are... The comedian Billy Connolly, the comedy actor David Jason, and finally Vladimir Putin. I think those three people will not survive to 2024. And Vladimir Putin will essentially be a turning point in the Ukraine war. What do you think of that, Adam? I'm not so convinced Vladimir Putin will die. And the reasons being um, is not exactly reached his peak life expectancy yet. He's still some years away from that. 
but it all depends on whether someone actually gets him and attacks him, I guess, or if he dies from health conditions. He don't look well, let's put it that way, but he's not reached his peak uh, life expectancy yet, so I'm not as convinced that he will die, but I might be wrong. A bit of um, polonium-4 in his vodka um, could be the end of him. Um, My second prediction is that this year, Great Britain will send migrants to Rwanda but this number will not enter three figures. Possible. Um, I'm not sure. It depends how much pressure, and I didn't make any predictions on migration this year because I'm quite unsure of how Richie Sunak plans to go about it. He does seem committed, but he doesn't seem to be brave, but he does seem to want to solve the problem. So if he does start solving the problem, numbers come down, but if he stays away from it, numbers will probably continue rising. So I didn't make any predictions, so I don't. I honestly don't know. Well, right now the figure stands at zero, so <laughs> let's see. My first prediction, which you'll probably be happy about, I predict that the inflation rate will fall in the UK and obviously mostly around the world, not every country, of course, but... I think it'll definitely fall in the UK in 2023. It's already already dropped one month and um, I see signs in the commodities that things are improving. I see signs that supply chains um, are getting more back to normal. So I think inflation will fall this year. That doesn't mean that prices will go down. It just means it'll slow down. So the inflation rate, say, for example, if it's... 10.7% or whatever at the moment. I think it might fall to something like maybe 4 or 5%. It may even go lower. It may even go into deflation. But but one thing that I am quite confident is that it'll fall um, a lot lower than what it is at the moment. And what is it at the moment? I think it's 10.7%. Lovely. Just so I can get that down so next year we can check for sure. (laughs) <laughs> Lovely. So Adam predicts inflation will fall below 10.7%. Yeah. I've no reason to argue with you about that one, Adam, and it's a hopeful prediction. Let's hope that the Tories can pull that out of the bag. Yep, and I don't think it'll necessarily be them, but I think it'll just... I think it'll fall anyway. We're seeing it fall in other countries. I think it's just natural as the supply chains get back. And a lot of people are arguing that there could be another inflation boom because of China reopening. Yes, it may use more oil, but I also disagree with the argument because China actually produce a lot of goods and they produce them very quick, uh, cheaply. So once they start working again properly and they're producing all the goods, It'll, I actually think it'll lower inflation more than it'll higher because countries import a lot of cheap goods from China and once that competition comes in, it should, in theory, reduce prices. So I disagree with a lot of the experts on that one. And the Ukraine war as well will either end or we'll just adapt to it more. Yeah, and if the Ukraine war ends, obviously that'll help uh, reduce the gas prices and everything because we and oil prices because... Before we imported a lot of gas and oil from Ukraine, and um, also a lot of the food comes from there as well, so like wheat. So if the Ukraine war does end, then it'll definitely be going in a downward direction and probably quite fast. We may, if that happens, there's even the possibility that we could hit deflation for a short time, uh, whereas where prices get back to where they should have been anywhere. 
well, I haven't made a prediction on the Ukraine war, but you've seen my prediction on Vladimir Putin, so maybe that says a little bit about that. My next two yes. predictions are my buy and sell. Every year I think of one company that I would buy shares in and one company that I would sell shares in if I was that way inclined. The company that I would buy is GB News. This year, they doubled their advertising. They have grown their viewership. They're being seen as a more serious news channel. They've launched merchandise. They've got more high-profile presenters. They seem to be the only news outlet that's actually growing and being successful. So, um, And they're talking common sense as well. Exactly. So I think Nigel Farage is going to have a higher profile this year. And as long as he stays involved with GB News, that will help them. So I predict big things for GB News. And I, I, I can only say that I agree with you. And the company that I would sell this year is TikTok. TikTok is totally toxic. The rest of the world is getting to know that now. I think it's going to go the way of Vine. I think it's a, um, a craze company. And by the end of this year, the craze will be over. People will be sick of it. TikTok will be going down the tubes. Mm, I'm not so convinced about that, but um, I'm, I haven't looked into it enough to make a prediction, although I am on it. Although I've got little profiles on it, but other than that, I don't really use it. So it isn't a lot of social media toxic, though. Yes, but TikTok is particularly egregious. It's brain rotting. I dread the day my daughter turns 13 and is allowed on there. I'm not letting her on there until she is. Social media does seem a good way to keep in contact with people and people just have a habit of checking it. Agreed. But there's much better social media than TikTok out there. A lot of social media is facing very high regulation at the moment on what people can say. <laughs> yeah, even more if this um, internet act ever actually happens. Or the, well, the online safety bill, which I think is going to go through this year. If the online safety bill goes through, then they're going to be facing even more. So my next prediction is rent prices will soar further. I haven't made a prediction on house prices um, because that's tied into the mortgage market. It all depends on how high interest rates go. These interest rate hikes will have a lag effect. So that means that the could be falls. But if interest rates go down and quickly, I'm not sure how long it'll take to take effect. So I'm not making a prediction on house prices, but one thing that I do, that I will say is rent prices will continue rising because everyone needs somewhere to live. And the more people that we're getting into the country, the less supply there is. So they're basically competing with the amount of money that they've got. So regardless, I think I can safely say that rent prices are going to rise this year even further than what they already have been. Interesting. So even though inflation will go down, rent will go up. Yes, I'm not sure if you agree with me on that, but... No, I especially considering the conversation we've just had about student housing and rents, I think you're probably right there. My next two predictions are the first one is a scientific prediction, but it's quite a gloomy one. I predict that no man-made objects will land on the moon in 2023. They are trying again to relaunch the moon project that worked in the 60s and got man on the moon. And so far, there's been a lot of rocket don't work. It's been delayed. And I think our incompetent space exploration agencies 
will continue to fail and there'll be no real progress in our mission to land on the moon in 2023. I think I can say that it's unlikely, but um, I can't say for sure. But yeah, I think it's unlikely that um, anyone will manage to get to the moon this I mean, year. I mean, companies like SpaceX could have helped out with that, but Musk is busy titting around on Twitter right now. Yeah, and he's got. He wants to focus on Tesla as well and getting his wealth back because he's not the richest man in the world now. So, yeah, I think he wants to focus on that. And Twitter was just too stressful for him. They were getting pressure from international organisations, even like the UN and the EU. And I thought that was really disgraceful that they were just they were just saying what he could and couldn't do to their likings and it's just awful how some of these left-wing organizations behave my next prediction merges technology and finance and it's more bad news for elon because my next prediction is that bitcoin will not make a significant recovery in 2023 right now the price of bitcoin stands at 13,750 pounds per bitcoin I reckon it won't recover past 20k. At its height, Bitcoin was reaching £40,000 per coin. It reached over 40000 It got to 48, uh, over 48000 at one time. Yeah, so I don't think Bitcoin will get anywhere near that and it won't even recover past 20k. People just aren't going to take risky investments in 2023. So how how much do you think it'll recover if it recovers, or do you think it'll do you think it'll continue to fall, or do you think it'll recover? Or are you not sure? I think it will recover slightly, but not significantly. It won't recover past twenty k. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm honestly not sure because before the pandemic, it was at seven thousand. 596 uh, so yeah it, it's already nearly doubled since the the pandemic i know it's fallen a lot since the pandemic highs but pre-pandemic it's a lot higher now there's a lot more people in it um a lot more people hiding the money from the government people just thought we're gonna go up and up and up but that doesn't appear to have been the case and obviously there's been a massive correction but I think if inflation reduces, people may have more confidence and that could actually lead to some upside. But is the downward pressure too great? Now, I'm not sure. So I'm not going to make a prediction on Bitcoin. My next prediction that I am making a prediction is that I know I'm a member, but I think the Conservatives will do terrible in the May local elections due to the opinion poll ratings at the moment. People are very unhappy with the performance. I can't see them recovering in time for the next election. I think, yep, that's a safe as houses prediction there, Adam. Um, It's going to be an absolute spanking for them in May. Yes, and from the four years before, because most of them have run on a four-year cycle, although they were hammered quite badly in 2019... According to the opinion polls, they'll be handled even worse than that. So I think they'll lose even more seats. And I think, yeah, they're going to lose an awful lot of seats. So um, I do think they're going to do very terrible in that election. Do you think it will be terrible enough to trigger an early general election? Probably not, because they're not going to want an early general election if the performance is that bad. Um, I think it could potentially 
trigger another leadership election, um, but it's uncertain to say whether it will trigger another leadership election. I guess it all depends on how Richard Sunak's done in general of running the country as well, um, as to whether it does trigger one. If it, if they do so so badly that MPs are frightened about the seats, it could potentially lead to another leadership election. Yeah, I did wonder if I should make a prediction about whether or not Rishi will last the year, but I've decided not to. It will all depend on the reaction after the local elections mm. in May, I think. Yeah, well, that's why I didn't make a prediction, because, again, I'm unsure. <laughs> My next prediction is to do with the Royals. A big event in 2023 is going to be Charles's coronation. And I predict that Harry and Meghan will attend that coronation, but that will be their last time in the UK in 2023. Hmm, that's interesting that you think they'll not return afterwards. What makes you think that? The coronation of King Charles is their last chance for a long time to get in the limelight, be seen as part of the British pageantry, and then they can just disappear off to LA to have another year of making podcasts, documentaries and book writing. Last year I predicted that comedy would make a resurgence and I got that wrong, so I thought I'd make another prediction about comedy. I predict that the comedian Peter Kay will be cancelled. At the moment, Peter Kay is doing his tour. It's just started. It's probably the biggest comedy tour ever undertaken in this country. The spotlight is on it. Sooner or later, Peter is going to say something or do something that basically ends his career. Well, that's a shame. I don't watch him, but um, it's probably quite probable in this day and age. That's the problem with comedy. People can't say racist jokes, for example, can they? I don't think it's right to be racist, but I think you should be able to joke about anything no but people have made racist jokes and then they get cancelled well i don't think peter cares a racist rufus at all i no. think he's just going to say something that'll annoy the wrong people any sort of offensive jerk um can get them cancelled these days exactly and if peter's gonna go around the country telling jokes to thousands and thousands of people something's gonna happen yeah possibly what's your penultimate prediction adam My next one is that there will be large numbers of excessive deaths in the UK this year. And what makes you say that? Firstly, our healthcare system is practically collapsing. There's lots of strikes. The backlogs are getting worse. And we've also got surging flu in the UK. And if we get a bad flu winter which looks to be worse than, I think, 2018 to 2019, then it's going to lead to a lot of excessive deaths. Uh, There's also the potential of other pathogens uh, coming up as well. Um, I've heard that swine flu is now spreading in Russia. Um, I'm not predicting an epidemic or anything, but there does appear to be lots of diseases emerging. So there is the potential for that, but I don't think that'll be the cause. But I think the strain on the healthcare system, the high levels of flu will lead to a large amount of deaths. And I think the health service will just be unable to cope with it. And if they're unable to cope with it, I think it'll go to lead to 
many other deaths that should have been prevented. And plus, we've also got a rising population, so we're also going to see excessive deaths. And because of those reasons, I think there'll be large numbers of excessive deaths, unfortunately. That's an interesting one. I think excessive deaths may go up, but I don't think it would will go up significantly. So I slightly disagree with you there. I guess it all depends on uh, what happens with the flu epidemic, which is rapidly surging now, and obviously uh, what happens with um, other diseases that seem to be emerging in other countries. I've took a more risky one there. That's why I've put that further down. And then my next one's going to be even more risky, but I'll let you predict your last two. Teasing us there while I go through my last two. My last two are, first of all, that Great Britain will remain bound to the European Convention on Human Rights. Suella Braverman is not going to be able to get round it or get us out of it. We will remain part of that convention. Probably right. Um, I think Richie Sunak's going to try and do whatever he can to sort out the migrant crisis without leaving it. So you're probably right on that one. And my last one, I decided to end with a more cheerful one, although you, you may disagree how cheerful this is, Adam. I think that for this September, universal free school meals will be announced for all English primary school children. It's likely that this is going to be funded from an additional tax on sugar or meat or junk food, something like that. But I think universal free school meals are coming. Rashford's going to get his way. It could be quite possible. I think Richard Sunak's a little bit more on the left, and I think Jeremy Hunt is. So I think it's quite possible that that could happen. Oh, I'm surprised there. (laughs) I'm not not guaranteeing it, but I think it's quite possible that it could happen, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So what is your last prediction then, Adam? My last prediction is that 2023 will be the hottest year on record globally in modern times. So I'm talking about since official records have begun there, um, I think 2023 will be the hottest year on record since records have begun globally. And I get where you're coming from there because it's been in the news this week that this year was the hottest year on record in this country, wasn't it? Yes, and I think obviously it's been a little bit cooler in recent years. 2020 were a very hot year. And I think this year could be even hotter because the solar activity is ranking up again. Solar maximum's probably going to peak around 20, 25, 2026. And that generally leads to uh, milder years. Also, there's the La Nina, which is waning, which usually leads to colder years. And um, there's some predictions that it could be replaced by an El Nino, um, which usually leads to milder years. If that happens, um, I reckon it could be the hottest year on record. That, that's an interesting prediction, Adam, and I reckon you could be right. You, you're certainly an, an expert in this field, so... Yeah, I'm not guaranteed to be right, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. That's and will we even know the answer at that next year? That's the question. The, the records may not have been announced, but 
we'll probably have an idea of whether it's going to be the first or second or whatever. Yeah. So I'll have a look into that. And I'll, I'll certainly look forward to discussing these with you in a year's time. By, the, by then, we'll have probably forgotten them all. One more prediction I do just want to try and coax out of you, Adam, and, and we'll both make a prediction on this, because last year you predicted that the number of migrants to this country would go up. Do you think in 2023 it's going to go up, down, or stay about the same? Are you talking about legal immigration, illegal, or both? Both. I think large numbers of legal immigration is because of students. Now they're trying to clamp down on that. And I think that's easier to control than illegal immigration. And because the majority of it is legal immigration, I would actually predict that it may actually go down. I still think there'll be very high numbers. But I do think it will go down somewhat because I think they'll try to make it much stricter for them to come across into universities because of the housing crisis. They might ban universities from going to different countries. But the question is, does that come in fast in time? That's the question. But with the housing crisis the way it is, and if it's only going to get worse in January when some more come across... Maybe they'll want to get things started from September. There does appear to be a growing revolt to get uh, the migration crisis started. In terms of illegal immigration, um, I think that all depends as well on how stable the world is. Um, And the world probably will get a bit more stable this year, um, as I've predicted inflation will go down. But I still think there's going to be large groups of traffickers trying to get people across so i think the numbers coming across the channel will be similar to last year but um, again i might be wrong overall i think there'll be a slight decrease in immigration and also that's because of them a lot of people waited until after the pandemic before coming across to university but um i do think that the numbers uh, will remain high but they'll be slightly less than what we've seen in 2022 but we probably won't have full figures uh, for that year at that point Um, like we haven't got the full figures for this year and we've only got 2021 figures Uh, we'll find those halfway through next year but yeah I reckon um, the numbers will be slightly lower. We'll be able to discuss this because um, we'll be able to see the GP registrations which will give us a good idea and we had a good idea this year didn't we yeah, that the numbers are very high this year. Yeah, we had, we, you know, we, we knew that your prediction came true that they would be up this year. So yes. yeah, well, I'm I, not quite as confident about next year. I'm going to say similar to you that they'll mostly be the same. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say slightly up, slightly down. I'm going to say they'll be roughly the same. Fair enough. If the GP registrations is practically around the same, then we'll no, it probably is around the same. And I'm really looking forward to it, Adam. Another year of breaking news with you. Um, A lot of stuff's probably going to happen to us, both personally and professionally this year, but hopefully we'll get to continue doing this and the podcast will go from strength to strength. Yep. Well, fingers crossed. If you'd like to share your prediction, you can do at breakthenewspod at gmail.com. Also, we'd love you to share it because we did actually reach 500 downloads this week, didn't we? We did, yeah. We had 300 on Podbean before we moved, and we've just hit 200 on Red Circle, so that gives mm. us, a gra- us a grand total of 500. Hooray! Yep, so that's good. So let's hope we can reach some more, and um, be sure to share articles that you'd like to talk about as well. And 
if you did listen, share, or enjoy our podcast this year, then ju- just thank you very much. It's it's made our year. It's been a big part of me and Adam's year doing this podcast, and it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for just being with me this evening. It was very good, and um, I'll see you again next year. Uh, yeah. In, yeah ne- next year. Yeah, I was right. <laughs> next year it will be. Yep. I hope everyone has a great new year and we'll see you next week in 2023. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye and happy new year.